0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Maya Durr, a writer and organizational consultant and coach for people going through life and career transitions. Maya conducts workshops, retreats, and online programs, drawing on her years of Zen meditation practice and training. Maya shares this in a wonderful book akin to having our own personal coach. It's her book, Work That Matters, Create Livelihood That Reflects Your Core Intention. Let's now meet Maya and learn more Maya Du good morning, and many thanks for being with us this early morning
1: uh thank you kate it's um, I'm really looking forward to being with you and to talking about uh livelihood and work that matters.
0: Exactly. And, uh, you know, during this time of the morning, it's it's early as we were uh, saying as we first <laughs> made the introductions together, uh, that uh, I think this is a good time of morning that our, our minds are perhaps just waking up and being really receptive. So very important uh, words of wisdom that we're going to have an opportunity to share this morning.
1: Hmm, yes, thank you. I hope so. (laughs) If my brain can wake up enough, yeah, I'm with you. (laughs)
0: Great. Well, maybe this is how we'll do the wake up. We're all about stories. I love stories, storytelling, and we do a lot of that uh, during these conversations. And I think that in your case, in bringing us this wonderful book, Work That Matters, Create a Livelihood, that reflects your core intention, that uh, there's not just a story, but many stories, or it ends up being a huge story that is behind all of this.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to tell you a little bit of the story about why why this particular book, which is actually the first book I've written. Um, I've been a writer my whole life, but finally I wrote a book. So I can tell you a little bit about why I chose this topic, if that would be helpful.
0: And that's a great way to start. Yes,
1: Sure. Um, Well, and I should say that when I um, first went around and I took the book to a publisher, which was Parallax Press, and I actually used to work for Parallax many years ago, so this is kind of a nice, you know, bringing the circle around story. Um, But I talked to Rachel Newman, the publisher there, and I told her my idea for this book. And she was a little bit cautionary, just saying, you know, it's actually incredibly hard to sell books about work, which I didn't realize. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense because when you think about it, you know, we go to, most of us go to work all day. You come home, maybe the last thing you want to do is read a book about work. Um, you know, and there's exceptions to that, like what color is your parachute. But for the most part, it's notoriously hard to sell books about work. But I, I just knew that this needed to be what I wrote first for a book. Um, and it goes all the way back to one of my, most formative childhood memories, which was waiting at the dining room table nearly every night for my dad to come home from work. Um, and he would always be late, and by the time he got home and sat at the table with cold food, <laughs> uh, he was always miserable, frankly. Um, you know, he just would complain about. You know, the conditions of his job, he wasn't so happy with his boss, just a lot of stuff. And, you know, like most people, he lived for the weekends and for the very short vacation time he got each year. And that really made an impact on me. And early on, I just made a promise to myself that I really wanted to find a different way to do my life. Um, You know, so I made this vow to myself, no matter what it takes, I really want to find work that I love. And so I feel like my whole life has been an experiment to um, to get to the point where I feel like I've finally reached the last decade of my life where that I can say that's actually true for me, but wow it's taken a lot of experimentation, uh, and it really does go back to those early childhood days and just wanting to, yeah wanting to have work that I not just tolerated but that I, I could actually really embrace and that was like a way to express myself.
0: And the thing you mentioned about being that age, being 10, around that age is interesting. I've heard in seminars that I've been in that very often at that time, we have a sense of who we are to be in our life, the work we are to do. And I I think in some cases it might be really clear, like, Uh, And you mentioned in your book, if someone knows they're going to be a doctor, they're going to be a lawyer Mm -hmm. or something like that. But some of us, I I love the word experiment. Sometimes it's a a process. It's a journey of finding that place that is, um, as you talk about, in our right livelihood. Mm hmm.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, what I have I learned <laughs> through my wild and wacky journey, um, but most particularly like over the past 10, 15 years when this light bulb finally went off above my head, like, oh, I can actually bring my mindfulness and meditation practice into this process, um, what I learned was it was really important for me to shift the focus from, well, what is it I should be doing? the why. You know, well, why am I doing something? And that actually changed everything, because what I began to realize was it wasn't so much, you know, the actual job description or the title, um, but it was really important for me to understand what I call, and I call in the book, you know, the core intention. You know, what, what is my reason for being here on the planet? And once I was able to hone in on that, um, I actually also had a lot more fluidity and flexibility about what I could do for work because I could bring that core intention into actually a number of different kinds of projects and jobs. So that that was pivotal for me.
0: And would you say that, well, you're saying it was pivotal for you. Ought this to be pivotal? Should all of us really embrace that as that core uh, so, that if each of us are doing it, what kind of world would we then be creating? Yeah,
1: well, I think it's incredibly helpful for. A lot of people, I, I steer away from vast generalizations, so I'm not going to say everybody, because I think there actually are people who are perfectly happy with, you know, more of the what orientation. It's like, yes, you know, I'm going to be a farmer or a lawyer, and they can do that for years and years, and there's like, and actually I think their core intention is probably underneath that, but it's maybe not so important for them to figure out. Um, but I do think those of us who are more purpose-driven uh, it's absolutely essential that we do that. <clears throat> and I think the kind of world we can create is one where we're just a lot more happy. <laughs> we're feeling more fulfilled and joyful in our work, uh, and that affects everything, since that's where we spend you know most of our waking hours each week.
0: Precisely. And all the more reason to have a book of this type, even though the publisher is saying, oh, you know, it's tough to sell this kind of book— but if we are, as many people are, feeling unsettled and unhappy maybe at the, at the root of it about the work we're doing, where we spend so many hours, isn't it essential to find a way to get to the heart of it and figure out uh, that path to get ourselves to that right livelihood and, and joy?
1: Mhm yes I mean to me it's all this is kind of like my mission to alleviate suffering so I see a lot of work related suffering and I know I was certainly in it for many years um so that to me is what the, the pathway that's often in this book and what I call the six keys to liberation based livelihood um you know when people work those inside themselves it translates to being able to have yeah a more fulfilling work life which translates to better life and less suffering for sure
0: and so, on that uh, tangent, or not, well, that focus, uh, really, uh, the six keys to liberation based livelihood, we've really touched uh, at least a bit more information, of course, in the book to expand upon it. We can't do that in, in the short time we have together, but become intimate with your core intention. You've already touched on that, right, Maya?
1: Right, and that, that's actually a huge one. And so, you know, the, the six keys are in the order they are, and that's really important. So I, I think you actually can't get a whole lot further until you um, – and you may not get it right away, but you need to set the process in motion of, of beginning to really become familiar with what is your core intention. Um, and one of the exercises I offer people in the book, and when I do coaching, I guide people through this, I think it's really helpful to actually – uh, look back and take an inventory of our work life, and not just our, you know, traditional jobs, but all the responsibilities we've held, like being a parent, you know, maybe when you were a teenager, you were a camp counselor, so things that are unpaid but also huge responsibilities, and to really look back at each one of those and kind of unpack them and see, you know, where, if anywhere in that, you know, job or position that you held, was there some kind of spark, and what was that spark about? Um, So that's one way to begin getting some clues about your core intention.
0: And and that is so important, as you have stated, to Mm -hmm. look at all those key areas. Often with volunteering, we're drawn to things that we really find a spark with. So that's, I think, a really key one.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes volunteer work gets sort of poo-pooed and set aside. But, you know, I think often because we don't have the pressure there of like, oh, I have to make money, that that will give us our best clues because we often go to those places because that's where our heart's desire is. Like, we really want to, you know, help in a certain kind of way or, you know, feel inspired in a certain kind of way. So those are really good clues with our volunteer positions.
0: And the advantage here when we can't be with you, although it'd be wonderful to be at a retreat and really delve into this, but in place of it, at least to begin with, having the book, Work That Matters, in hand and following the steps and pursuing the exercises that you give us is really a great way to get started.
1: Yeah, I feel like it provides a blueprint for people, um, and I think it certainly comes alive, you know, when people are able to have coaching or be in a retreat or a workshop, but I do think that, you know, getting it down in a book and actually, like, you know, you can take it at your own pace and work with these steps and keys and exercises. Um, yeah, I do believe it's, it really opens up, you know, new, completely new ways of looking at things for people um, and shifts some very old patterns that we have.
0: So the second key relates a a little, maybe a lot, to the first one Mm -hmm. because we look at our gifts and talent and time.
1: Right. So as as we become more familiar with that core intention and the gifts that go along with it, um, and again, this is like all taken from my, my experimentation in my life, but what I then began to realize, like, oh, my goodness, it is so important for me to not just fritter that away. Um, and it's so easy to do. I mean, and this is one of the mantras I have for myself that I sometimes just remind myself is, Just because I'm good at something does not mean that I should be doing it. Um, You know, so there's a whole set of things like, you know, say, for example, organizing somebody else's files, which I can actually do pretty well, right? But it it has nothing to do with my core intention, which is about helping people open their hearts and minds. Um, And so I need to be really careful. Like when, you know, I'm in a position where people are, are requesting my time in that sort of way. And it can be really easy to say yes, especially when it's for pay. Uh, but I've learned to be more discerning and really to learn how to say no in a productive way um, and learn how to kind of protect that core intention through really valuing my own gifts and time. So that that's what that one's about.
0: And that feels like a, a real biggie. Uh, I can mm-hmm. see where it's something that's uh so natural and easy to do and maybe if uh, finances because that can be a big mm-hmm. thing are tugging at us it you might a person might feel it, really that weakness of well i can just do this
1: mhm Absolutely and I completely understand that I, I often say to people that this is not a rainbow and unicorns kind of book <laughs> so you know I've been there myself and you know' had to you know go through financial struggles and figure out you know just how to take jobs so I can make the rent um, so I completely get that but I think where I'm trying to point us all towards is like how can we make conscious choices about that um, and, and even like you know say we're in a particular you know stretch of our life where we absolutely have to like take whatever comes to us because we need to, you know, take care of mortgage or the kids or whatever. Um, and I think that's where that core intention can come in. So it's like, okay, so at least how can I, you know, with what's here in front of me, how can I turn that into something that will express my core intention? You know, I can bring that more consciously into the process here. So I think there's ways that this, this approach that I'm offering people um, really respects some of the harsh financial realities that we have to deal with And yet it still is able to kind of um, help us create new possibilities even within that space.
0: So in a situation where... uh... Th- that kind of thing could be happening where we can make that uh, make the finances you know that pay all the bills, but we have a hobby or we have the volunteer work that really is fulfilling. Do you see that as being able to work out, or is it is this really about making our work where we spend most of our time be focused on the core intention?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's also a long-term process, right? So, um, you know, if you have a hobby, like, say, you love to play music, um, that's not where your, your income is getting derived from. Um, that's okay. But, you know, it may be that you can actually create sort of a longer-term plan in the next, you know, year, three years, five years, where you begin to bring more of that into your daily life and your working life. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, what I've found is that the best opportunities for me are actually ones that I create for myself. So I know there was a period of time when I, I just learned how destructive this was to my soul and my psyche. You know, I would go looking in the paper or at Craigslist at, you know, job descriptions and, okay, I need a job, what can I get? And I would really try to fit myself in somebody else's idea of what I should be doing um, and that was just so unhelpful. And again, you know, sometimes we need to do that for a while. But I think what I've learned over time, and this is actually what I lay out in the last part of the book, like there are ways that you actually can create more and more opportunities for yourself, um, whether that's as, you know, self-employed person or freelance or working, you know, in a collective with other people. But I do think that, you know, we can point ourselves in that direction and the hobby, what's now a hobby, you know, and brings no money into our life actually can at some point, you know, become something that brings part or even all of our income if we're strategic about it and if we, um, you know, one of the keys towards the end, and I'll just jump ahead, is about thinking big and making the most of your resources and also um, asking for help from people in our life. So I think those are two critical keys that help us when we're trying to create those possibilities for ourselves.
0: So it occurs to me about students, kids in school and parents then really trying to focus them toward a certain direction, because go this way, there's a lot of money to be made from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. How, I'm going to say adversely, does that affect our path?
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Incredibly adversely. Um, You know, I think that's one of the huge downfalls of our culture these days is just that the almost exclusive focus on money and financial well-being. I mean, not that that's not important, but I think we really um, often put that front and center and everything else falls by the wayside. So uh, I think the more we can at least pair that up with, you know, things like what are your values, what are your core intentions, um, that's, that's when we start driving, you know, for us. And also if we raise our kids that way, just like this is what's truly important is, like, you know, what it is you're bringing to the world and how you express that. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from
0: with all this. Certainly. And that's where it's so beneficial for us as in that parent role, in that teacher role, to be doing this kind of work ourselves and encouraging, right? Demonstrating, modeling for our kids, but also then helping them to determine at a young age what those core intentions are in their life, which might change as time goes on, but still finding that nugget Mm
1: hmm Yeah, and I think, you know, just think how often we go to a party or, you know, meet new people, and almost always the first question that people ask us, and often we get in the habit of asking them people. It's like, oh, what do you do? You know, (laughs) what's what's your career? What's your job? And I think the more we can kind of shift from a what culture into... Like, oh, well, why? You know, what, what is it about that? Why is that what you do? You know, what, what is it that you love underneath that? Um, that's how we begin to kind of move things. And I'm, I'm all about cultural shifts. So I just think it's interesting when we look at ourselves and how deeply ingrained we are in these habits. Um, and even language, you know, can give us a lot of clues. And if we begin to change some of that language and ask new questions, we create new possibilities.
0: Oh, absolutely. So let's look at what key number three is? Yeah, so key number three is
1: called Break True Inertia and Take Action. Um, and this is actually quite a pragmatic key. Uh, because again, what I learned, you know, as I became more clear on my core intention and got better at protecting it, and um, began to see like, oh, like, here's something I would like to do, I would like to, you know, create my own business, um, I would like to, offer mindfulness practice to people, you know, just getting definitely closer to what it was that was true for me, I also started to notice <laughs> that I got a little paralyzed. Um, you know, sometimes I ha- things had to be just perfect before I could actually do them. You know, there were a million procrastination strategies that I had, and I think this is true of a lot of us. So this particular key is offering some ways to um, just see why those things happen and then really very practical ways to break through those procrastination
0: patterns that many of us have and the thing that comes to mind is in taking action we might want it to be perfect because oh heaven forbid if it's not I might fail there might be that failure Mm -hmm. Uh, and this keeps coming up for me all the time this week about how failure though or what we might call failure is really a step in that an important step in the process
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a phrase I love. It's called failing forward. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's inevitable that we're going to fail, quote, unquote. Um, but if you're going to do that, at least like fall forward and fail forward and learn from that because that will keep you moving in a forward direction, right? So, it's, And that actually leads beautifully into the next key, um, key number four, which is make friends with uncertainty uh, because you will find, you know, as you get better at breaking through inertia and you can start taking action, those fears and anxieties will come up, like, oh, my gosh, well, now I'm actually doing this, but what's going to happen? You know, you're taking a risk, uh, and so much of risk is about not knowing the outcome. That's the very definition of it, right? <laughs> so in this key, um, and this is the one that's probably the most connected to having some kind of mindfulness or contemplative practice, which which is really key to the whole book. Uh, but I think that's such a good way for us to really uh, get much more practice at just sitting in a place where we don't have to know the answer right away and without anxiety taking us over. Um, and you can actually, this is one of the practices I offer in the book, you can actually learn how to assert that anxiety and turn it from anxiety into excitement. So how do we make that flip from, you know, feeling, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen if this fails, to really feel like, well, hey, this is exciting. <laughs> you know, I really don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, it could be wonderful, and let me just give it a try.
0: And isn't that self-talk, that language, so critical uh, in, yeah. in terms of our attitude towards something?
1: hmm It's everything. And, you know, this book, as I say in the very beginning of it, it's very much of an inside-out kind of approach to career development. Um, you know, and early on in my career experimentation, I did all the things that you would typically do, right? So I, I read What Color Is Your Parachute? I went to a career counselor. I took aptitude tests. Um, so I was getting that outside input, and it was helpful to a certain degree. But I, I feel like this is the book that I I wish I had had when I was, you know, in my 20s and 30s, because it comes at it from a different angle, um, and it really does look at that self-talk. You know, what's our mindset? Um, where are the places where we can so easily sabotage ourselves, and how can we actually, you know, turn those around? Um, And actually, the whole secret of the book is, you know, these are six keys to liberation-based livelihood. But they're also, it's not just about work. This is really how to live a wholehearted life.
0: Exactly. And that's why I was just thinking, I had thought about it at the outset, about mindfulness. We hear, I think most of us hear more often now about mindfulness, and it, of course, comes up repeatedly as a focus, really, in work that matters. Let's just take a, a moment or a, a little time to talk about mindfulness, Maya. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you like
1: to know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I kind of personally had had this idea that, oh, I'm being mindful because I would trip and fall. Mm-hmm. So I'm being mindful as I walk. So I'm just being conscious. But I think it's deeper. There's just much more to mindfulness than simply paying attention.
1: Well, you know, that's an interesting question because I actually think it is as simple as paying attention. But I think what's, what gets more complex is then how we, we actually apply that in our everyday life. Because really, the, the very basic definition of mindfulness, and this is, comes from Jon Kabat-Zinn, um, is, is to be present in this moment. And then here's the part that actually is a little bit trickier, <laughs> without judgment. So, you know, we're practicing this capacity to actually in every moment, whether we're, you know, walking or we're, you know, working on a paper or we're with a friend, um, to just kind of develop a witness self where we can see, oh, you know, this is what I'm doing right now, this is how I'm acting towards this person, this is the kind of belief I'm holding right now. And then the other layer that that John Kabat-Zinn points out is it's really important to practice doing that without judgment of ourselves. You know, to not go to a place like, oh, you know, how stupid could I have been, like, you know, that I'm doing it this way or that I'm, you know, having fear about my career change. Um, So it's just that's actually where the practice is. It's just then kind of allowing that judgment to just drop. It's like, you know, that's okay. This is just in this moment where I am. And, you know, actually it's practicing complete acceptance as well. So, and to me, what's happened over time, like, you know, as you put that practice into action in your life every day um, and really bring it into different parts of your life, something its like alchemy. You know, something really happens over time. And, it, you know, this is exactly what I've experienced in my work life. Um, when I began to apply that to these decisions I was making around my livelihood, um, it really did completely shift how I was oriented towards my work and towards myself. So even though it's a very simple thing, I think it has profound implications when we do it over time and really, you know, really put ourselves into a full intention.
0: That's wonderful. Yes, I I can really see it and feel the experience of it, and so see how it's vitally uh, important in looking at at our work life and and really determining where we are with that core intention. So thank you for that explanation. Mm -hmm. And then we can move on to key number five. Ah, yes, the keys again. So, uh, Key key number five
1: is actually one of my favorites because I think it's probably the one I've had to work the hardest on. So it's think big and make the most of your resources. Um, And... So it's a two-parter. So when I say think big, I'm actually not talking about, you know, you have to do something huge and affect millions of people and make lots of money. Uh, I think that's often what we, you know, get when people use that phrase, think big. But really all I'm saying is just notice where you limit yourself and be willing to go beyond that. So think big in your own world. Um, Break through your own glass ceiling, basically. And then the second part of it, make the most of your resources. You know, again, I think we often connect, resources to financials. So, you know, we think, well, I can't do this because I don't have enough money. Um, But it's really important that there's a practice in the book where you do a resource inventory to realize resources mean so much more than just money. Um, It's the time that you have. So, you know, you might be in a spot in your life where you actually have a fair amount of time and you can actually learn a new skill that you've been wanting to learn. Um, It's the people in your life. Uh, It's the experiences that you've had, the life experiences, and the way that you've done things in your own way. So there's so many other kinds of resources that you can draw upon in addition to money, and that's really important to remember.
0: For sure, and that brings to mind really thinking outside the box of Mm -hmm. all that we have that we just maybe take for granted but really could be of such great value uh, to help others when we make that Mm -hmm. the core intention.
1: Exactly. right.
0: And you then really have edged into a way for key six in terms of a, the circle of allies, because with our friends, with connections we have, that also is a great resource.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the people, people in our lives are actually our most valuable resource. Um, and those people may be coworkers, they may be um, mentors, they may be people who we haven't yet met, but we have admired and respected their work. Um, you know, they're, they're living out that that vision of liberation-based livelihood that we may want for ourselves so we can make connections with them, we can invite them to mentor us in some kind of way, Um, and that's where the asking for help comes in. So, you know, how do we learn how to ask for help in an effective way, Um, and how do we learn to be in a kind of mutually beneficial relationship with people so that we're also offering, you know, something that they may need as well.
0: And maybe that's what makes it, like, really great because we might think, oh, they don't want to help us, but very often people really love to share.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, times in my life when people – and especially when it's done not in a kind of transactional way, like, I need to get this from you <laughs> but when people have genuinely, you know, come to me and ask for support or assistance in some way, it actually feels so good to hear them ask that and to be able to say, Yes, I would love to support you. So I think often we miss that point and we get kind of, you know, petrified about asking somebody and we have to remember it's like we're actually often offering them, you know, an opportunity to do something that feels really good for them. So it's it's a win win situation.
0: Absolutely. So, what we find through this is that there is just so much possibility, and the result being that, you know, so much fulfillment, so much joy in how we spend the majority of our waking hours in our life.
1: Yeah, and I've absolutely experienced that in my life. You know, I just have really, you know, again, not without struggle, but gotten to a place where I've really come to just feel like, Every day I'm waking up, and I absolutely look forward to what I'm doing. You know, there's new possibilities that I'm creating on a regular basis. So I just have complete faith that it is possible to have work that we love, because I've been able to do that myself.
0: As you've shared with us and we find in the book, it is a journey. It's a process that we need to be open to that's going to happen. But in the end, it's so well worth it
1: hmm absolutely. Uh, and, I, you know, sometimes I say at the end of my book readings when I do this at bookstores, you know, this is actually, I, I don't think this is a book for everybody. I think if somebody's looking for a book where they just want to learn, like, okay, I need to write my resume and get a job quickly, <laughs> like, this is not that book. But, you know, as you're saying, Kate, um, it is a book for people who are really open to being in a process, uh, to being curious about yourself and really growing as a person. I think this book can really support you to not only create work that you love, but like I said, to really live your life more deeply as well.
0: Indeed. So the book, Work That Matters, Create a Livelihood That Reflects Your Core Intention, is available at all of our favorite book sources, correct?
1: Yes, you can find it on Amazon, um, other online bookstores. And if it's not at your favorite independent bookstore, I'm a big fan of independent bookstores, please ask them to carry it. But you can find it in most online stores.
0: Excellent. And let's, of course, mention your website because that is also a great source of information.
1: Sure. It's the same as my name. So it's com. And I've got lots of free resources on there. So I would love to have people come visit.
0: Excellent. Well, it's been most wonderful to spend this morning time getting going this morning with you Maya I so appreciate you and the work the work that you do it's been just great thank you thank you so much Kate it's been a pleasure and with that we're at the end of a very full hour of inspirational women with Maya Durr and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Julie Lamb. I'm Kate Daniels your host and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast. It's on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the On Air tab and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of savoring family, savoring a special purpose in life, Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.